0: Oh, 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 oh We are back with The Protectors Podcast, and tonight I am joined by longtime, retired police detective, Bruce Robert Coffin. How's it going, Bruce? Good. Thank
1: you for having me on, Jason.
0: Yeah, we're talking about bios and how we look on paper and everything, and you look great on paper.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) touche. Touche. You've got quite a
0: bit of experience yourself. It's like and you have that the twofold. You're not only great like with a great background, but you, you brought that to actual paper now too. So you're writing books.
1: <laughs> it's I've I've uh I've gone further than I imagined when I first started out here. Yeah, sure.
0: we're we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast about, you know, everybody thinks they can write a book, but they never really a lot of people just don't actually sit down and do it. And you right. did it. I mean, how many you're on four or five books now, right?
1: Yeah, my, my fourth uh, published novel will come out uh, February fourth. Uh, within plain sight, uh, somehow we've we've gotten here already. It's it's amazing how fast it actually happens once once publication uh, once you achieve publication because you're you know you're really uh, you're mandated to get a book a year old by contract. So uh, there's no more messing around. <laughs> the, f- the first book uh, before before actually writing that first book, I, I spent two and a half years writing uh, what I appropriately call the drawer novel which was, you know, really learning the, the art and craft of of creating a novel and, uh, and doing all the things wrong that were involved in that. <laughs> so I could do the learning and then go back and, and write a good novel, which was what Among the Shadows, my first novel, ended up being.
0: Yeah, I'm very intrigued now because, you know, I've had a ton of authors on. I've got about 50 books on my mantle now that I have to read. <laughs> it's not even half to read, it's that I want to read. I just right, I need more right. hours to read. And then and then trying to author myself. You but, start you know, going to
1: conferences, you bring in 10 or 15 new ones home. My, my to be uh, Red Pile is in every room of my house.
0: I love it. I offered, um, I offered to send my book to someone once, and they're like, "You know what? I got too many books." So thanks, <laughs> you know, thanks. It's like, "Ah, oh, cool, bro. Thanks." Occupational hazard. You could humor me at least, but, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Let's let me just—you could put it in your burning pile, but just—it's great though. I um, you know, but you have an impressive background, and that's what I would love to see. You know, we were talking. I have um, I've had a lot of authors on and military background, CIA. Mm-hmm. And I love getting the perspective, especially when it comes to fiction, from people who have, like, walk-to-walk, talk-to-talk. But it lends it, like, a class of uh, not just readability, but it's real reality right. to these books.
1: Right. Now, I mean, I even even fiction, right? Exactly.
0: Now, go into that. I mean, let's talk about your background, just for the audience. Just, I mean, decades— yeah, so I... Please. I did,
1: uh, yeah, almost three me. decades in Portland, Maine. Uh, I started, uh, you know, walking the beat uh, in uniform like like everybody did back in the mid '80s, and uh, worked my way up to detective sergeant. And uh, really, I spent over half of my career in that position. Uh, and and when I retired, I was running the uh, supervising the homicide and violent crime detectives uh, in in CID, which is which was half of our. Uh, you know, detective division basically. So I had, uh, I had eight, uh, eight detectives full time, uh, four evidence technicians, um, polygraph operator, uh, a couple other things, uh, property and evidence coordinator, that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, it was a 24 seven job. Uh, when I finally pulled the plug, it, it was, it was a lot of work. I enjoyed oh. it. I mean, that's the job I always wanted though. There's no question. Um, that's probably the best job in the building. Uh, but it also is the most daunting uh, when you, especially when you have a few years in, when you take it. <laughs> you know, your most of my career was was on call because of the different uh, things I had, and uh, yeah, it was it was a great job, and I think it really lent itself well to to provide the fodder of what my series is about.
0: And that's the thing, though, is like you, you know, I'm very intrigued um about homicide detectives you know i had a buddy from high school went and became a homicide detective Mm -hmm. and i was always like you know what i you know in law enforcement i always call like kind of absorb everything that's going around you Mm -hmm. and it's like being around that much darkness it it must really take a toll on you i mean Mm -hmm. what was your outlet
1: yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing. I think trying to find that healthy outlet is really hard for, for anyone in law enforcement. I think if you do it long enough, regardless of whether or not you're, you're dealing with homicides and suicides and all that stuff on a regular basis is, uh, you know, you're definitely seeing the dark side of human nature. And uh, I think that it's re- what's tough about it isn't that you, I mean, I guess definitely that builds up, but what's tough about it is that you can't, um, those aren't things you bring home and share with your family. And I think that's where most of the problems start uh, in in that career is that you you like most jobs, you know you have a bad day. you can come home and and kind of blow off steam and complain about your boss or the bad customers or whatever it is and and you you move on. you know you get it out of your system, you move on. And with this kind of a job, you you don't come home and share the gore and and uh, the worst side of humanity because, nobody's spouse i think unless you're in the job nobody's spouse wants to to be part of that and nor should they have to be so you're really limited to to sharing that with coworkers, and i think that's where a lot of the bad stuff happens i mean you you eventually end up going down a path that's not healthy you know you you'll do it over beers or whiskey or whatever and and uh then the next thing you know that can get out of control or I think the other thing that I that I uh, tell people a lot that that becomes an issue, it's almost a trope that law enforcement officers end up having marital problems. But I think, you know, it's a trope for a reason. Uh, I think one of the problems is, is that the fact that you can't share the most personal aspects of your life and the things that trouble you the most with your spouse, um, that forces you to share that with somebody else. So now you're, you know, the most important things in your life are not you know, there are things you're keeping from your spouse. So I think it just naturally devolves uh, relationships.
0: Yeah, you, you open at that open wound of your brain, uh, seeing all the horror and all the, the absolute evil. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't, like you said, you can't bring it home. And then you, no. what happens is you talk to your partners, and if you find someone who's going to listen to you, yeah. and next thing you know, your marriage or, or your relationships are at the door.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's pretty common. I think that's what really ends up happening. You know, it's funny. I, I joke about it, but it's not really funny. Some of my coworkers, I feel like they were they had more marriages than some of the Hollywood stars. Uh, you know, you're talking four or five times to the well. Uh, things aren't working. You know, it's not. It's, there's more to it than just you know you're not a, a good spouse. There's more to it.
0: Yeah, and it's just you know rather than deal with the pain and everything, you just go and you find someone else, and then you yep. figure out that's not going to work. Right. And Then you have alcohol, and then later on. And well, you, you forget want, the
1: most important uh, thing is that, that you're going to be the, uh, the the component that shows up in every one of those relationships. Yeah, you're the catalyst, right. it's not them.
0: <laughs> uh, and then there's alcohol. And then, you know, what happens when the job's over, if you don't find an outlet like writing or or, or having some sort of healthy outlet to get it out there, that's when the real problems, the demons come in.
1: That's That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of uh, retirees, some, some that have gone, uh, since I left, which was seven years ago, somehow that happened already. And some that haven't, uh, some that left before I did uh, the job. And I, and I will tell you that I am very lucky that I had this, uh, this outlet or this, well, what's now turned into another uh, career, but I'm lucky I had that to turn to, um, first year and a half or two years, leaving the job were very, very difficult, um,
0: you know, I, I don't know what
1: you want to call it, sort of a postpartum, I guess, from the job in that um, it it was really your it was my identity for the for the almost 30 years I did it. And you wake up one day and you're excited about the fact that you're not on call 24 seven. You're not on everybody at everybody's beck and call. But then you realize, Jesus, nobody, <laughs> nobody needs me.
0: And you that's know, where they, absolutely... you, know, you lose the adrenaline.
1: Yeah, you, well, you you lose know, your purpose. Yeah,
0: your purpose, your identity, your brotherhood, yep. your sisterhood. Yep. And you know, I uh, I like to talk to people about that. I love to talk oh. to LEOs, and especially is because it's a little bit different than the military. Because the military, you know, you can be in four, five, six years, and you know, you're getting out. Right. But as an LEO, you're twenty, thirty years, and that's your whole identity is that badge and gun. Yep. And it's not just the badge and the gun; it's the brotherhood and sisterhood that comes with it. Yep. And then when you, I mean, I still, it, yeah,
1: I still, you know, my wife looks at me. I can see her out of the corner of my eye every time I do it. But I'm on autopilot, so you know, there are things that just don't change. I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I and I see a marked cruiser coming the other way, or even an unmarked, because it's not like they don't stick out to me. Uh, and I automatically wave. You know, whatever hand is on the wheel, I end up raising my fingers to the car going by, <laughs> like <laughs> they know who I am, right? And, uh, but you don't break that, like, you know, taking the the seat, uh, in the restaurant with your back to the wall and, uh, you know, popping off the seatbelt just before you, yep. you, you pull into the driveway. I mean, there are just things you don't, it's hard to unplug that, you know?
0: And then you, uh, you find an outlet and if you don't, and I always tell people, I'm like, look, we're at a different age now. Now we have social media. Now we have, uh, phones that we could text. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know what, when you had that grassroots, um, we need to have a grassroots-type connection to someone, meaning like one-on-one, because these 1-800 numbers and everything, recall when you're kind of down and suicidal, it right. yeah. might not be it for everybody. But if you keep in contact with everybody and kind of keep that network going, it, it helps, it does. Big sure, time. they're
1: comfortable about reaching out. I mean, one of the things that we've we've taken to do around here, which has really been, I think it's been helpful, because we it seems like we've lost you know, from the retired numbers of our department, it seems like within the last two or three years, we've lost, you know, a good dozen people. And, you know, some of it just to old age or whatever, but um, you, you realize the importance of getting together and keeping that camaraderie uh, lively. Uh, we've we've gone out of our way. Uh, there's a there's a group of people that keep putting these luncheons together and we try to do one a month uh, during the summer months when everybody's up here, you know, because a lot of snowbirders and that kind of thing. But they, uh, those are huge. I mean, we've had, Couple times this summer, we've had t- as many as 22, 25 people show up—all uh, oh, really Portland retired cops—and I really, I think that really matters. It's nice to be able to, you know, swap a few war stories and and uh, you know, remember that you aren't alone when you leave that job. There's still a whole, like you say, a whole brother and sisterhood that's uh, that's out there around you. But it's it's definitely important to stay in touch.
0: Now, this is gonna—we're gonna do a quick transition into your books because mm-hmm. we know your career. Uh, we know you retired, but how mm-hmm. much of your characters are based on that career?
1: Uh, quite a bit. I mean, the characters themselves, i have really drawn to make the characters. Some are entirely made up. Um, some I've taken bits and pieces of, of the quirkiness of some of the people that I worked with uh, to create a, a very realistic portrayal of what the job is like, which was really my goal when I set out. I wanted to be able to tell stories that would you know, would be page turners and would enthrall you and there'd be a mystery to solve and, and all that. But I wanted to try to make them as absolutely realistic as I could uh, and as gritty as I could so that they would seem uh, as close to what the job is really like as possible. And uh, I'm going out of my way to do that. And I think, I think it's paid off. I think it is the difference. Um, you know, one of the things I hear all the time from from either other writers or, or actually it's funny, believe it or not, these a lot of these are uh, a lot of police officers are reading this series. And I, when I was when I started, they all told me, geez, cops don't read these don't, you know, write for, you know, regular people. And uh, yeah, well, they're reading them now. <laughs> they might no, have been reading exactly them to see true. if I messed up. But uh, yeah, no. And so, yeah, I, I think it's I think that really was was my goal was to tell a story that was really honest and in the way it portrays how hard that job is to do and at the same time maintain a a good healthy personal life uh so my protagonist john byron in this series is a detective sergeant um go figure sounds familiar yeah (laughs) i said why reinvent the wheel and um and he and he grew up in portland on munjoy hill uh second generation police officer so his dad reese was a cop uh, before him which I thought uh, would really add some stress to his, his uh, growing up. You know, I can't think of a worse deal than having your dad be a cop you know, where you're trying to grow up. And, uh, and so that, that's the deal. He's separated from his wife in the first novel, Among the Shadows. Um, he's running the homicide unit. And uh, right out of the gate uh, in that first book of the series, in order to be able to tell you the historical parts of John and to show you why he is who he is, um, I have him investigate the death of a former uh, police lieutenant who worked alongside of John's father when he was alive and who John remembers from childhood. And then things really go downhill from there. But um, I, I really I like the idea of being able to put, you know, create fictional stories, which is what every one of these are, and fill them and populate them with things that are very realistic incidents that either I went through personally or uh that that you know officers that i worked alongside of went through uh and the more the more personal and the more stressful those situations are i think the more it resonates with with people that are reading
0: you know one of my author friends told me he's like you have to have at least seven instances of conflict throughout of throughout a fiction book
1: (laughs) i've (laughs) never i've never counted them but that's that might be a good number yeah to get you through
0: there's always something happening to the protagonist. And after he told me that, I've, every time <laughs> I read a book, I'm like, well, there's one. <laughs> there's two. I know, like, it's well, funny. I don't think st- of
1: it that way, but I like that.
0: I like that. I'm like, well, stop putting this guy through hell, you know? Come on. <laughs> you're killing me.
1: I look at it as uh, when, you're, when you're plotting and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to have enough side stories going on and, and the main thing that you're trying to solve uh, for me as you're right I mean it's really when you're writing it is very much like reading a book in that you can bore yourself if it's if you don't have enough things happening and so I equate that when I'm first starting off to to making sure that I have enough balls in the air like a juggler would you know, how boring it would be to, to watch me juggle two or three tennis balls. Uh, but if but if you start upping the number and you th- you put some breakable stuff in there or some really sharp things or whatever, all of a sudden it becomes a lot more tense to to be
0: part of. Yeah, that tension. And you know what? That makes it – I'm going to add the seven conflicts, which is like yeah. seven balls are juggling, <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense now. Yeah.
1: and for- make one of them a chainsaw. You know, that really uh, ups the ante.
0: Now, the series. How did you start that series? um like how was did you, really, one day you're like was, hey, you know what I'm, I'm done with this job
1: yeah it it's started a pen and paper I, st- I started writing again um really about uh i don't know say nine or nine or eight or nine months probably before i retired um in 2012 and i didn't know that i would be retiring in 2012 quite honestly um that just came about uh, really on its own i started writing again i got the bug uh, I hadn't written uh, fictional stuff since college, and uh, I, I don't know why it reared its head then. I think there were a couple of things that happened, uh, not the least of which was my wife uh, buying me an iPad, uh, trying to bring the dinosaur into the 21st century. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I I used to type everything in high school and college, and even when I started with the police department, we were still typing, so uh, pre, yeah, pre-computer pre yep, days, definitely. really. Yeah, mm-hmm. And uh, so God, I miss the smell of whiteout. You don't need that with an iPad. Um, I think but in I, college
0: I was still handwriting some <laughs> stuff. I mean, it was well, the '90s, right? So
1: like... Yeah, we didn't have spell check. Uh, you had the dictionary, and uh, but I, yeah, I, I all of a sudden I, you know, I found a little Word Pad app on there, and, and I just started playing around, and uh, literally, even though I didn't know what his name was yet, uh, what would become John Byron started to spill out and uh i set about to trying to my goal really at that point was just to write a novel you know and finish it i said you know i want to write the great american novel and uh and i and i still want to write the great american novel (laughs) i haven't i haven't accomplished that yet maybe but i'm i think i'm turning out good ones um and that was it and that's really my whole goal i wanted to set that out for myself and see if i could do it you know like a monumental task to actually complete a full novel and uh Like I say, that one took me two and a half years and it wasn't good, but I actually did accomplish that goal. And, uh, from that, I learned so much that, uh, the writing really started to take off after that happened. That's funny because what really, what was the first draft, you know, first complete draft. I mean, I, obviously there was a lot of editing too, but when I finished the first draft of among the shadows, which was the first in the series, uh, that only took about five months uh, to get that first draft done compared to the two and a half years of writing, you know, a bad drawer novel, which was much shorter than than that first draft too, by the way. So um, once you once you figure it out, it really starts to come together quickly and, and the writing process becomes a lot more fun, I think, once you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that. It's like the process seems to be, because I, I see one guy, he'll put out a guy, a girl, put out a book, takes him a year or two years to write it, Mm-hmm. By the time they get edited, it's like, you know, a three or four year process. Then the next thing you know, they're kicking out like a book a year. Right. right. And it's like, I'm like, man, they're on a, they're on a mission now.
1: I'm like, wow. <laughs> well, and I think it just becomes part of your life. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky and or blessed, I guess, that I, that I have the pension and I have a wife that, that has a real job. And, uh, so I'm, I'm be, I have the luxury of being able to do this full time. Uh, so, and that's really what I do. I mean, I'm either, you know, flying someplace, driving someplace, to talk about my books or sign them, and uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm writing. So to do a book a year, really, once you you set your mind to to having that be your life, it's it's not as difficult as you think. I think the trick really is coming out with a good book every year, uh, but writing a book every year, once you get into the habit of writing, I think is it's just you know it's like going to the gym. If you do it every day, it becomes much easier. You know your muscles don't atrophy. If you're uh, if you're taking time off, it's really a struggle to get back in, and so I I make a real concerted effort to to write every single day.
0: And it's great because not only do you have like thirty years plus of experience in your head, you know you're still meeting more and more people. You're still building. You know, every person you meet could be part of the story. You sure. Once you listen to their story.
1: Yeah. Oh, any experience too. I mean, and you know, just in your day to day activities, experience, conversations, something I overheard in a diner um, there's fodder everywhere. You know, it really is amazing what you, what you pick up on, once you start, you know, kind of tuning into that and, and how you'll, you might be writing something and, and you know, there's something missing from it. You know, maybe it's a personal aspect or something. And, and then something just sort of throws itself into your lap and you're like, geez, I can use that. And, uh, I, I just find that fun. I, you know, the, the creative process when it's going well, is uh, is almost like watching a great movie. I mean, sometimes this stuff just feels like it's happening in front of you.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm starting to feel that way because I'm I, I I'm working on a fiction book on the side. It's probably going to be about three or four years from now because I have too much nonfiction going on in my life. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> I, uh, but every, I like how you said that fodder
1: because there yeah. is
0: so much stuff that you could add to a book. Like you, know, like you said, going to a diner, going here, going there. Yep. And, and it and is all absolutely your experiences. like a movie. Yeah, it's At like all, a movie. I mean,
1: just, like just your, your, your careers, um, you just think of all the experiences you had. What, you know, maybe they were humorous, maybe they were serious, maybe they were dangerous. Um, but you can take and shape all of that stuff and, and use it you know, the way you see fit. So it's really, if you've had enough experience, it's, it's entirely possible to put together almost any scenario and make it work and make it believable. Uh, and I think that's just such a huge advantage. You know, I, I, I talk a lot to college, uh, writing classes. Uh, and one of the things I, I always point out is that if there's one thing that, that would improve everybody's writing, especially when you're that age, uh, the, the advice I wish I'd been given was just to go out and have a life, you know, experience the highs, the lows, the ups and downs, uh, the worst that life has to offer the best that life has to offer. Uh, and all the emotional stuff that goes along with that, and those experiences will inform your writing to the point that you can write characters and scenarios that people actually care about or can relate to.
0: Yeah, because one thing I've noticed is, like, when you you could tell someone who's had real-life experience when you're reading it, and whether mm-hmm. or not someone's, like, just trying to blow smoke up your ass. So it's like, right, right. <laughs> it's a reality, you know.
1: It is true. I mean, you start looking at that, and it's funny, even even now when I read, I mean, obviously I'm reading for entertainment still, but I think I look at things now with a different eye than I did before because I know what goes into it and whether or not somebody knows what they're talking about.
0: Oh, I absolutely do, especially when it comes to military and police books. Oh like, uh, my like, come on, where'd you, where you what's your background? I'm like, Do you even know what you're talking about? Did you even research this? Well, it's the same thing you'd
1: pick up, I think, in a conversation, you know, with somebody in the first five minutes that that, that they were full of it. Uh, I think that that obviously comes out in book form as well. You know, it's hard to maintain that illusion if you don't really know it.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I love it. Hey, uh, so where do we find your books? You're everywhere, right?
1: I am everywhere. Uh, you can find me on all the the big things like Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, my, my website that has links to some of that stuff as well is uh, com. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, all those places. Uh, HarperCollins also has a, an author page for me uh, that has all four books, that, uh, including the one that, that will be out in February, February 4th. Uh, so the, the books are Among the Shadows, Beneath the Depths, Beyond the Truth, and Within Plain Sight will be the one that drops in February. Very
0: cool. Awesome. Well, uh, are there anything anything you want to promote besides your book, like any nonprofits or anything you want to give a shout-out to?
1: Actually, yeah, we're doing uh, every one of our book launches that we've done. I, I always We always pick a location. Uh, we've had a couple of brewery locations, and the last one was at a, uh, a big Portland restaurant, DeMillo's on the Water, Um we're going to be doing the same thing again this time, In Fe- actually on February 4th. Uh, we always pick a nonprofit to partner up with, uh, sort of a way I feel like I can give something back to the community. And last time, we had canines on the front line uh, as the beneficiary of, of what we did that, that launch night. Uh, and this time, we are doing uh, the Susan Curtis Foundation. Um, and it, they really, uh, they do a lot for underprivileged uh, children, inner city kids that don't that don't have the same uh things that the rest of us do that a, a lot of them are in bad situations and uh it's a it's an all expense paid uh you know trip to a summer camp for a week uh, every year and uh, a lot of returned people and and a lot of them have su- successfully turned their lives around and and become huge success stories you know going on to be going to college becoming doctors uh, a lot of great stories that have come out of that so that's who we chose this time
0: Well, that's, you know, that's a great, you know, we used to have something like that when I was a kid where, uh, cause I grew up in a nice, really green area by the Appalachian mountains in New Jersey Mm -hmm. and all the inner city kids in the summer would come up with a sponsor family for a few weeks just to get a different taste of, you know, that there's other things out there. So that's, that sounds like a great organization. I'd really like to take a look at that.
1: Yeah, they really are. You can find them online. As I said, it's the camp Susan Curtis foundation or Susan Curtis foundation. And, um, that was started by, uh, uh, Governor Ken Curtis and his wife, uh, many years ago, who, former uh, Governor Curtis from Maine, uh, and it's something that my wife and I have involved ourselves in uh, heavily. So it was a pretty much a no-brainer when we were trying to decide what to to have the next nonprofit be. So, well, all the percentage of all the sales from that first night will be donated to that, uh, and we always do the same kind of thing where we'll raffle off a name of of a character for one of my future books. Uh, that always seems to be a pretty popular item.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys do a raffle, I'll send you a bunch of my books up there, so you get you know. Oh, that'd
1: be great! Jeez, I would awesome. love that. That would be awesome.
0: And hopefully by then, I'll get some new protectors gear in, and you, I'll send some of that stuff up there too. Oh, so.
1: some swag! We always love swag.
0: You love swag. I love it too. <laughs> but hey, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, the time Jason, flies when we start me. talking. I mean,
1: yeah, it really does. I think it's time for
0: the protectors to, oh, you're welcome. I think it's time for the protectors to start becoming like a 45-minute to an hour conversation (laughs) because I love talking to you guys and girls. I love it. Uh, This has been great. I really appreciate it.